Hi everyone, welcome to Such a Good Feeling. My name is Steve Anderson and today I'm talking to the incredible songwriter responsible for over 150 million sales worldwide, the legendary Jorgen Elfsson, all the way from Sweden. How are you this morning? I am good, thank you. It's uh, good. It's like, lovely yeah. to see you. We've, we've, I think we've met once. We did a little session, but uh, I've been a oh, yeah. huge... Karen Poole. Yeah, with lovely Karen Poole. Yes. Um, but Great I mean, song, actually. <laughs> really cool. Like yeah, it. yeah, it was yeah, cool. No, it was, was... Uh, we were incredibly nervous because we're such huge fans of yours and, and your work. So it was really odd for us to walk into a room with you, but obviously you couldn't really? have been more lovely and more wonderful. So... Uh, you know, it was great. It's that thing you never quite know when you're uh, when you're going to be in a room. It's actually an interesting thing to start with that whole idea of a songwriting process. It's weird, mm -hmm. isn't it? Walking into a room with someone you've never met and then sharing your soul. It's kind of a yes. weird one. Do you, it is. Do you... It is strange. It's it's um, uh, it's good uh, on one sense because you grow as a person because you know meeting people and and sort of stripping down everything and you because you have to and. And you sort of lay all your things bare, kind of thing, and then go in and be creative together. And I, th I think it's um, mostly it's really great fun. But but there's been moments when, for sure, I you know it hasn't worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the thing is, and it's about recognizing when it doesn't and saying, okay, let's start again, or you know, let's go and have a cup of coffee, or uh, and and I've always said to so many people, you know, the the stuff you do before you write the song is almost the most important. Even if you just chat for two or three hours or just get everything, you know, the actual uh, the actual bit about finding out what you're going to do that day, unless it's brilliant where someone comes in and says, I've got this amazing idea. Yes. No, it's, it's true. I, I mean, I had a little story about that, actually. That's a really nice writer. I don't know if you know him, but his name is Andrew Fromm. He's from America. Oh, yeah. He used to be on Zomba, and I don't know exactly what he's doing now, but he came to my studio. This was in, in the early 2000s, and uh, maybe even earlier, uh, just after Britney. And um, and it was really stiff between us. We couldn't really do anything. It was more like, okay, what are you going to do? What am you know, it didn't work. So I said, okay, man, let's let's take a really nice walk here because the studio was just around, you know, the fairgrounds. And so we went out and walked for a couple of hours. And we just walk back in and there's bang, because everything, all those kind of things, you know, that yep. get solved by just hanging around for a moment. And and we wrote a fantastic song. It's actually one of my favorite Westlife songs. It's called The Puzzle of My Heart. And oh, uh, yeah. it ended song. up on, uh, I think, Coast to Coast. It, so It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I often say that, you know, that moment that, you know, you're really struggling and you can't quite get the line or you can't quite get the melody, it's not working almost literally the moment you leave the studio, the leave the place you're in, you know, you happen to just go to the supermarket or something, then it pops in. Yes. But, um, it's like uh, this, we want it so bad, right? So it's this whole want thing that keeps being in the way from, for, for what actually is going to come easily yeah. if you just allow it. So it's almost like, I don't know, uh, it's, it's, it's a Zen thing, isn't it? You know, it's like... You know, don't don't grab the water because then you won't get anything with you. You know, just hold your hand open and it'll fill with water. It's kind of like that almost. Yeah, I, That's I, what I've learned over the years. I love it's that actually, analogy. Yeah, no, it's 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 almost like before. Uh, you know, I, I was very much you know, I could be like oh nervous and 
I want to do my best and I go into a session and I was almost have, you know, scared to death. But but over the years, I've learned to relax. And, and actually, I feel the more we talk and the more good time we have, the less work we do and the better the song becomes. You know, it's almost like we're getting out of the way for whatever is supposed to happen between us and then and enjoy the moment rather than trying to, you know, impress each other <laughs> with stupid things. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and the more you talk, the more of those little gems might come out or yeah. a title or a, or something. And, you know, one of the most overused phrases, and I say this to a lot of the younger writers, is, you know, you know, someone will come up with something and say, okay, well, it's not this, but, and then say something and put something into the room that probably mm. sucks, but it makes people realise, well, it's definitely not that, but then it might inspire them to say, oh, but it might be this. So mm. I always say, it doesn't matter how bad the idea is, always put it into the room because it might inspire someone. Yes, and that's very true. And, uh, you know, if you hold back and if you're silent, the, the room kind of dies. So it's yeah. almost like you, you need to keep... The song is a conversation in the end, you know. It's, it's what happens between us. And I feel it doesn't matter. I agree, you know, just... Just pull your pants down, kind of. You know, you have to. You have <laughs> yeah. to show. Okay, here's a bad one, but <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, might take us forward, and and usually it does. You know, or it gets you to think. You just as long as you get that idea out of the way, new ideas can come in. But it's like they it sits there like a little bit of a stop. Yeah, so, exactly, exactly. I was interesting. I was listening to a. <laughs> Uh, a girl called Lucy Preble who writes lots of um, stuff, including a HBO show called Succession. And mm. she said it's the same in writers' rooms as well, where someone will go, okay, well, this idea completely sucks, but what if it's this, but it's not this, it's the opposite of that. Mm. And everyone goes, ah, cool, right, okay, well, it can't be that, but hang on, it might be this. Yes. No, no, it's it's, it's true. You, you need to sort of, sort of um, get these things out of the way, kind of. And dare to suck, I guess. You know, that's, yeah, the, that's, that's the line. That's the line, yeah. I'm glad you <laughs> used that. It's one of my favourite ones. Um, I, like to, I like to start these things just uh, talking about before you get to a point where you're buying your own records as a teenager, what's mm. the musical soundtrack of your house growing up? Oh, uh, surprisingly, uh, first uh, it was a bit of, you know, my parents' music and that yeah. could be anything. I wasn't really into music, you know, I was into other things like, you know, sports, for instance, yeah. you know, doing things like that and painting. I, I've done a lot of painting and things like that. I am an artist type of person, but I never really found my knack until I found the guitar when I was 16. Uh, and from then on, sort of, it was no question. But, but before then, uh, my music was very... I had friends that I noticed back, you know, like back people tried to get me into music, mm. but it didn't stick, you know, because, well, I was interested and I did. I, there was a moment when I was totally infused in, you know, jazz rock and, you know, all those guys, you know, Chikoria and whatever they did and Return to Forever and all oh, those yeah. things. And we saw the concerts. And my, I remember wow. my first concert was a Chikoria concert. <laughs> That's wow. not usual. Your first yeah. concert? Yeah, wow. my first, very first real concert was a Chikoria concert in, in I think it was 77 or something. And um, 
It was fantastic. And I was hanging out with these jazz guys, you know, was a bit <laughs> older than me. And I was like, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah. And I went to the Roskilde Festival and I, I saw lots of lots of concerts. I remember actually, it's very rare. I saw Led Zeppelin in 79. It was like fucking blew my mind. So I was, I was very much of a rock guy. And mm -hmm. my favorite band is, of course, uh, Rush, the yeah. Canadian band. Yeah. That's been with me all my life. So. And what's the, when you say you first picked up, your first instrument you picked up was a guitar, is it? It was a guitar, yes. Uh, I joined a friend um, an afternoon and I, uh, we, we drove by, a, by another friend's house and uh, just did what normal kids do, nothing. And then he showed me, he, he, oh, I have this guitar. What's that? Oh, cool. Can I try it? And then do, 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 do you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Who else? I mean, if they hadn't invented that, there would be no songwriters. So, yeah. so anyway, that, it's like, so that it was like, wow. It was like a, a huge wow moment for me. I don't know what it was, but it just was supposed to be on my body kind of thing. So I got, and, and you, I got and, my one. And, and uh, your record collection as a teenager, was it pre predominantly that kind of more rock it was metal? Mostly, you know, pop rock music. It was a lot of American rock. Yeah. I, I, I love David Bowie. I love certain English music. Uh, da, da, da. You know, I don't know. It was, but I wasn't really super of, uh, how should I say, a fan of music until that happened with the guitar. And, and then it took a really weird turn. I, uh, there's, there's been a lot of different styles in my world, you know. I've, you know, it's Rush and it's George Michael and it's like, I don't know, it's like so much. And I, but I've, I figured it, the way I figure it is that I love really great songs. Yeah. So, and it doesn't matter really what type of, you know, genre or whatever. Mm. I loved Rush because Rush meant something to me. I don't, I don't know why they introduced me to the music, I feel. But uh, for mostly it's really good songs that attracted me, I think. I'm sorry about these sounds. It's my computer oh, no, doing it's fine. things. No, no, it's, fine. it's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's, it's a conversation. It's cool. What, uh, I, don't, I can't actually hear them, so it's all good. What, okay. um, how did you, did you self-teach yourself guitar, basically? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Me and friends, you know, because I, I didn't want to go into music sort of school and sit there and learn the scales. I just wanted to play. So mm. I, I, got, I started immediately to, to plank, uh, you know, different rush chords and um, playing like Alex Lifeson. <laughs> you know, that's what I wanted to do. It's, it's a story that has, has happened quite a few times on this podcast when I've spoken to people um, and including my story as well, whereas you find the instrument and then you find the, 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 the record you love and then you just put that record on and just try and work it out and just keep going back. And if there's a difficult bit, you just have to keep rewinding it or just go back on the record and work and work and work until you figure out what they're yeah. doing. And that's how you learn chords. Yeah. Well, for, for me, it was, I wanted to be a guitar player. You know, that, that's what, that was the whole thing. Mm. I wasn't a songwriter at all uh, in a long, long time. So, so that was the, the first thing to become a, you know, I wanted to be a lead guitarist in a band. <laughs> and then I started singing and everybody thought, oh, you can sing. You should be a singer. All right. And I became a singer. And then maybe I should write a, a few songs. So, so that's how that whole thing got started, you know. And, and but before, I kind of... Before you were doing the, the, the singing, were you, were you ever in a band as a guitar player? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I was, I did the whole thing. I think I, I got banned. We got half and half signed. Uh, we made little records and we did all, but in the end, you know, band split up and I was the only one standing, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So uh, in the end I, I figured, man, I, I'm going to do this alone. So I became like a solo artist. Yes. The, uh, the legend of Shane. Yes, the legend. <laughs> yes. Did you was I mean did you enjoy that that sort of moment there where it was all of a sudden all about you as an artist? I don't know. Um you know, to be honest, looking back, I, I don't think I did, but I think it was a necessary evil, uh, yeah. you know, because I had to, you know, back then who would listen to my songs? other than me, no one, you know, so, so for me, it was a, the songwriting and became the vehicle to put me in front of someone. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, it sort of evolved. I didn't really think about myself as a songwriter in that sense of, you know, being somebody who can write songs for other people. Mm. I know somebody said something like that, you know, like an A&R is really famous here in Sweden who got one of my songs and he said, wow, he's really good. He, he could write songs for other people, but it didn't really, connect you know and um, um, was that your first time in a recording studio when you were doing the Shane record it was a proper studio yes yeah. uh, I went to, I, I mean I'm from the south of Sweden so I came up to Stockholm and um, I was actually in the ABBA studio so yeah. I did my record there and it was like blew my mind because it's such a cool place yeah. <laughs> and the people that was just there was uh, you know uh, Led Zeppelin been there and Phil Collins had been there and mm. things like that. So unusual for Swedish studios. So it was a, a a really cool place. Today it's actually not there anymore. It's a gym. Oh which no! Is, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, how can you tear down the ABBA studio, right? He still was, they've Benny still got a studio there though, right? Nope, it's a oh, gym. No. Yeah, oh my God, I thought it <laughs> it's was a still big gym no. there. <laughs> Benny, Benny, he's got a, a really cool place on an island here. On the Stockholm. island, that's the one I'm thinking yes. of. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it wasn't the same. This one was in the middle. This should have been a cultural, you know, yeah, saved, protected. Pl yeah. protected place, you know. But uh, some idiot uh, thought <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. So you you move into from the solo uh, artist thing. You move into a, a, a group next. Is that correct? That no, is? I came I came from the group. Uh, oh, you came thing. from the group. Oh, and right. from I the solo was from the solo thing, I, I actually got signed here at CBS in Stockholm, and I recorded uh, two albums. Yeah, uh, and I almost bro broke through. I almost broke through. I had a you know a radio a little radio hits and things like that. But um, in the end, it didn't really work out. Yeah. And I, I found myself, this was like me, 30 years old, you know, I found myself, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, I was, I was working in a really shitty place, <laughs> you know, packing up, you know, uh, toys for a mail order company. And I thought, well, I have to f do something with my life. So I kind of quit music there and I went back to school. So... Uh, and it's actually when I went back to this grown-up school, it was kind of you know like mm. you probably have that in England, yeah, the second chance kind of school, yeah. <laughs> you know. And then um, uh, I met uh, there was a girl there who uh, studied as well in my class, and uh, she gave me a book and she said you should read this book, and it was it was really a book about you know this 
kind of a you could call it a self-help book but it was all, a lot about how the mind works and you know and those kind of things and i thought wow this is really interesting i'm going to work with that you know and then i, I started you know this whole thing and I, and i kept writing songs constantly you know during this time where i kind of gave up you know i still wrote the songs because they flowed through me so um and then suddenly somebody in stockholm asked me to write a song for a very sweet, a famous Swedish artist. Her name is Carola. Mm -hmm. Huge artist, still is, you know. And um, she says, you should write something for her, he said, you know. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then I wrote that a song and then they took that song and it became a single for her. Yeah. So that was the first time ever somebody else took something I've written. And this is back in 94. Okay. Yeah, so... Okay. so so that's um, that was the breakthrough change for me. Listening to somebody else singing something I've written, yeah. and in that moment, I, I I was a songwriter. I felt. And how do you get from there to uh, to starting to work at Sharon? Wow, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> well, the the funny thing is that you have to form a band again, you know, yeah. because that's what happened. I was working, uh, making jingles in a studio in the south of Sweden at the same time as I did, you know, was in school. So I, and one day there was this guy from London walking into the studio. Uh, he, he was a black guy with a, you know, braided hair, you know, it's like super good looking. It looked like he was the missing member of a, uh, you know, um, Milli Vanilli, you know, like mm -hmm. it could have been one of them, you know, mm -hmm. really good looks, he looked like a star. He had actually an echo under his arm, you know, like one of those digital echoes yeah. Like he wanted to trade in or sell. I probably stole it somewhere, but, but it was more like, cause he was like a really interesting character, but, but he told the guy who owned the studio that, Oh, I want to be a star. I know uh, producers in England. I know I'm this and I'm that, you know, okay. So he was like convincing him we should make a record with him. And then he asked me, can you help him? And I said, sure, I can try. And then he couldn't sing and he couldn't rap, but he had this super great look and he, and he was like a real star. And I thought, wow, why don't we do something together? You know, so uh, I wrote the music and I sang and then he, he he was more like, you know, he was rapping and doing a little bit of that, you know, having a sound. And we became, suddenly everybody wanted it. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, so this, um, we almost got signed by the Ace of Bass record company in Denmark mm -hmm. uh, called Mega Music, you know, Mega. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They, they almost signed us. And, um, but we ended up being signed by Peter Svatling who had just had like a big success with Robin in America. Yeah. But when we got signed with him, this was uh, in 94, uh, late 94, and he had just found Robin. So uh, he did other things. He had had some success with some Swedish people, but um, he was a cool guy. But you see, this took such a long time for us. In, we ended up, you know, got signed end of 94. The record was done in 97 summer so the guy he he went crazy the guy from england he he was a star right there and then in 93 he didn't want to wait to 97 so he he got crazy almost you know hmm. but i felt oh i have to hang in here because i can't break this possibility and so in the end uh, actually this guy from england he said you know because we had to wait for such a long time for these uh, studio people in um, 
in another town that was supposed to record us because they did Robin music and things like that. So he said, you know, we've got to move this forward. Can we have another studio? Can you find something else for us? And then uh, Peter uh, Swartling, he took us to the Sharon studio. And and there I met Per and David. So so it's, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a maze to get there, but in, in the end, uh, I got there, and uh, but this was already in '95 that we met. So I was in and out of Sharon Studios since '95. Yeah, and uh, and then we broke up. The band broke up. We, I mean, we released actually one single. We were called Hearsay. Yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> the 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 English band that want, had to kind of ask because <laughs> they wanted to, oh, and we said, right, "Fine, use yeah. it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was an interesting thing. Uh, but anyway. Uh, from there, uh, it was kind of, I, w- I had moved to Stockholm by that time as well. So I was here. So I, I made sure I had my own studio. I made jingles. Meantime, I wanted to make music, you know, blah, blah. So I, um, and the other guy had gone off, you know, I didn't know what he was doing. And we had uh, one song left, uh, actually, from our recordings with the Sharon people. And... Um, sort of a leftover song. And then uh, Sharon got asked to to deliver songs for uh, a boy zone. So uh, we thought, wow, couldn't this fit, you know? And we rewrote a bit on that. And so that was my first international song. And that was Will Be Yours, right? Will Be Yours, yeah. Okay. So that was good. So you got, so that was kind of one in the back pocket already that you had and pitched yes, it. Yes, it it's sort of... And that's how I got the offer uh, of being part of it, you know, like, yeah. uh, and actually, usually the people they signed there, the writers, they usually came like, they've been artists working there, hmm. like me and Andreas Carlson and um, Max was an artist in a band, singer in a band. And hmm. all, you know, so, so we were like, they were a bunch of producers and then we, the creators kind of came in the songwriting you know, group of people came as artists that have been working and and sort of stayed there, kind of. So it was very organic, uh, organically put together group of people. It wasn't sort of thought through or anything. It was yeah. more, mostly people that really liked each other that was there. And so it was a unique little setup. Did it feel sure. like a kind of, obviously in... Uh, in the eighties, in the UK, we had the Stock Aitken and Waterman sort oh, of yeah. hip, hip factory. Did it? And it obviously, in the sixties, the Motown thing. Did it feel like it was a kind of hip factory you were working at? Uh, it, I guess you know, if if it's a storm outside and you're right in the eye of the storm, yeah, you wouldn't probably know that there was a storm. And <laughs> I was I like, understand. Uh, for us, it was like, okay, uh, let's do. It. I mean, intelligently, I, I I had an idea that this was amazing, you know. <laughs> But it was more like it was so much. It was such a now moment to be taking care of everything that needed to be taken care of there, and trying to you know working through the all the. There was a lot of politics and people and this and trying to. It's just like it's like you were on actually in a storm trying to you know get the boat across. You know that was the feeling of that time, trying to you know do your best and. And get get as much as possible out of it, you know, because this is an only once in a lifetime moment, and give everything you have. And I've, I mean, I've been looking back at that, you know, that time, and I was just thinking, it's weird how how 
how your life is like a you know a cog wheel, a wheel of cogs, you know, and suddenly it fits with another wheel and it, it works for a little moment, you're there, and then boom, it leaves. Yeah. It's like because suddenly everything I did was perfect. Yeah. It was everything I did, and I had written songs for 20 years already. So I was really good at what I did, you know, mm. like I was I knew what to do to bring it out, you know. It, it, and I, it was really weird. I, I, I would have hoped it was earlier, but it, it took 20 years to get there. But it was, I'm, I'm glad I got there, you know, you know what I mean? But I was really ready for it. So uh, I, I did a lot, a lot, a lot, of, lots of music came out. And, and, and I think as, as much as it was frustrating, I think by the, I always say that, you know, by the time that it comes to that moment, you, are, you were ready, you were, when it mattered, you yes. were ready. You were you were good. Um, is it? I mean, I did hear that that when it comes to something like Britney, sometimes was a song that you wrote before Britney Spears was ever in the picture. It's actually a song I wrote to my wife, <laughs> and which she gladly uh, tells that story. <laughs> you know, and and you know, it's because we had just met, and I was like very inspired by her. You know, she wasn't my wife then, but. Uh, she was such a different type of person and it's really, the song is really about me and, uh, you know, uh, being a little afraid of what's so fantastic, you know, is it real? You know, like you mm. can be afraid even though something is really great, you know? So, and of course the lyrics were slightly more grown up. Mm. So I had to change those lyrics once they asked for the song mm. and they didn't ask for my song. They asked for a song first yeah. and then, I was kind of the first one to to write something for her, mm. and, and, and but uh, but the, actually this was the first song I wrote as a signed guy for Sharon, mm. uh, and I wrote part of it at home, and I brought some skeleton with me back to uh, over to Key West, and we sat there and had a moment, and and um, I worked on the lyrics there, and then I brought it home and I fixed it and I redid it and blah blah you know and then I played it I remember this is a this was the pivotal moment actually because I I, I wanted to play it to the guys in the, at Sharon you know the, so I, there was Max in the room because he was like the successful guy and then there was Dennis Pop in the room he was the, the guy you know <laughs> and then there was Tom who was the owner so it was them three and me in a little room it wasn't bigger than I don't know three square meters but it was there they had the, the editing room kind of thing, you know. Mm. And so I played the song there and it was my demo. And 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 Dennis, who was like fantastic guy, by the way, who was um, very funk and had a lot of attitude. He was like, ah, oh, that song is a little nice. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good, but it's a little nice. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, yeah. But then uh, actually made uh, Max uh, save my day because he said, uh, you know what? It could actually work with this um, new American artist that Jive is working on called Brittany. And, but he said actually Brittany, you know, like because yeah, yeah. we didn't know she was, that was Brittany. But anyway, and and, uh, and he played a demo that, um, uh, what's this guy's name? For, Forrest. Oh, anyway, Eric Forrest, Eric Foster White. He did okay. a few songs yeah. on that record, and he had a demo, and it's was like, wow, that just we could do something. We can, we can. This song could work there. Let's send it off. We sent it off to Martin Dodd already, back then involved, and he, um, 
I guess they played it because uh, a couple of weeks later I heard, oh, they took the song. Oh, great. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant, but I thought, wow, that's cool. Um, and then we had the, the request, oh, she's just 15. Can we change the lyrics a little? Because I had, you know, uh, some making love in there or something. I don't know. But uh, so that had to go and I fixed it a little. And after that, uh, she came along and she was this wonderful little girl, you know, like really nice and um, hard as working as hell. She was like in the studio from morning till evening, you know, she just stood there and working, working, working. It's a super pro. And uh, we, and actually my song was the first we recorded. Mm. There was no huge interest I felt uh, at Cheyron in the beginning when she came. But when people had listened to what she did with Sometimes, I think people started getting really busy in the studios. So, so that was nice. So, and then I think Max had this song that was like a, I think TLC had turned it down or something. And, and bad for them. <laughs> yeah. They hit me baby one more time. So, so it was a great bunch of songs that were written uh, and recorded with her the, those 10 days that she was there. And you were also obviously pretty much defining from scratch the, you know, the, that voc the vocal sound that, you know, is it, you can only hear two seconds of Britney and you know it's Britney. Yeah, you know, no, that's true. Was, you know, that was... And a, especially from Max's song, of course, oh, baby, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I must say that she is one of the most, you know, biggest personality kind of voices. She has mm. a real great sound. You know, you can can immediately tell it's her, yeah. like Rod Stewart or somebody, you know, like, so so that identity kind of thing is really, really important. It's actually quite rare today that the singers actually have anything that sort of, but that's just my observation. No, 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 but I, I, I think I agree with you definitely on that, and we might be getting to that a bit later, but yeah, I do agree with you. There's a, there's a lot of people that you could put a record on and just go, well, it could be one of 20 people. Well, with mm. Britney Spears, all you need to hear is one line and you go, oh, it's Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. And, um, and you know what? That's uh, so rewarding to, to have worked with somebody like that. You know, it's like, it's just unbelievable. I, I feel like I was part of that whole journey. So, I'm so pleased you also said what you did about her work ethic and work in the studio. I mean, oh, I was, yeah. I've, I've only worked with her a couple of times, but a lot of people always ask about her and... And I say the same thing, you know, technically she's really brilliant. She'll put the effort in, she'll put the work in. And I think having that time that she had, even before she got to you, where she was working within the Disney thing and the TV yes. thing, you know, she was brought up on that yes. thing of you, you, you've got to turn up and you've got to turn up on time and you've got to do a mm. job. Exactly. And, the American the, worth it, you know, work yeah, ethics and, and that and type the, of thing. The grounding of, of, that, that that gave her for what was to come, I think was yes. incredibly important. And I think sometimes as a song, I think you're absolutely right. Everybody certainly here, you know, heard hit me and thought, okay, well that's massive, but what is this? And then sometimes it just felt, it was like, ah, oh, there's a whole other depth of what she can mm. possibly do. Yes. I think, I think it was like, I almost said that, uh, hit me baby one more time, uh, got all the kids running out for the record. And then yeah. sometimes came and got the then they got the parents running out for the records to buy it again for the kids, yeah. you know. So so they had two. It's almost like oh, she she's like a real, you know, <laughs> she's not that dangerous. No, but I, I I think it was a great wide 
having those two singles just opened up the whole, it was like a perfect boxing match, you know, that type of thing. First one, boom, and then one, bang, you know, and then whew, the world opens up. Did you approach, once you knew it was her and you knew her voice and you knew what it was going to be, what was what was the first song that you went in knowing what Britney Spears was and writing specifically for her? Um, that must have been actually the... It must have been a You Drive Me Crazy, right? Yeah. Yes. And that was very much, you'd heard what she's done, you knew what she was, and it was like, okay, I know what to write now. I, th- I think that You Drive Me Crazy came after I've heard her demo. Yeah. Uh, not after we had worked because we recorded those songs all at the same time. Yeah. So, um, but but that was the song written for her with the yeah. guys. So, so that was more targeted, whereas my other one was about my wife. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, but it and it's also there's so many of those. I mean, not specifically your songs, but so many of those kind of Sheeran moments had that thing where you know there was a chorus and then there was a a B chorus, which was the yes. same chorus, just with a different melody. Yes. Which was always genius. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's really good. Uh, you know, like, it just gives that extra energy. Mm. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you, you, it's some, something just happens, uh, and then it comes back, and you usually you take the both of those melodies and line them together Yeah, in a cool way. So, yeah. yeah. That was... That was, that was, that was a way of... I mean, Sharon was all about keeping the energy going in the music. Mm. And it was, Sharon for me was a huge experience in songwriting and learning about songwriting uh, because of uh, the way they were analyzing music. Because mm. I didn't really analyze anything I written. I just felt it. I wrote it and I felt it and I listened to it and I felt it. Yeah. But I never really analyzed it. They taught me how to analyze it. You know, like, why is that thing there? Is it really good? If it's not, take it out, you know, replace it, make it shorter. Oh, you have to change this, you know. Okay, so you do this here, melody before the chorus. Then you have to, if this is going to lift, you know, the verse is too good here. How are we going to lift the chorus? And all that all that type of, mm. you know, that whole thing got, got me going. And, and uh, of course, you get become even better at what you do. And suddenly I can hear songs. I mean, you know, I can hear songs. Oh, they should have done that, <laughs> you know, yeah. that type of thing. It's an uh, occupational hazard kind of thing. But um, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it was that whole thing with Sharon and how they analyzed things there. And then also actually making jingles for radio was mm. one very big breaking of my barriers as a songwriter. I mean, suddenly I'm sitting there doing Chinese music for, you know, Chinese restaurant, and then I make gym music, and then suddenly I do I mean, it was so much different, you know, mm-hmm. different genres of music, so. And it must have been around this this time that you start the a very long relationship with, with Westlife, which obviously was the you know, um, a UK band and there's so many incredible songs you wrote for them, but I'm always, I was interested in, um, how you came across, came to my love, which is such a kind of, I don't, what was the idea with my love to write a, a very Celtic Irish anthem? That's really interesting. Uh, actually when it was time for my love, it actually was a song written first demoed by somebody else 
Oh. And it didn't sound like that. It wasn't okay. at all like that. Uh, but it had moments in it. And I think it was something that, because sometimes uh, Per and David wrote something with somebody else, and then they mm. showed it to me. Mm. And this was one of those. But I knew immediately what, was, uh, what I felt was wrong with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was kind of, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've got to change that. You know, things like that. I was kind of bang, bang. But, but uh, so I changed those kind of things. And, and, and I wrote the lyric to the song. So, yeah. uh, and for me, it was immediately opened up to become that, you know, all the fields are green and the skies are blue. And I, I wrote a song called Evergreen before, uh, actually oh, yes. before the Westlife Evergreen. Oh, okay. Became, yes, yeah. also, I mean, I was all fascinated about Irish music and, and the Green Islands and things like that. So that kind of popped up. It wasn't, I mean, it could have been much deeper and much, but it's had the important images, I felt. But it actually is a song that I feel has a lyric that really comes across in its melody. You know, mm. like it sounds like what it's written. You know, you know what I mean. Sometimes it can; those songs can be contradictive to the song and the you know the lyric and the melody doesn't really work together. But here, it really came together. I felt it, so. It, that's how the song came to me. That's why we're we're I think we're four songwriters on it. It it, it really does, and I mean, I'm I've been lucky enough to be a musical director for Westlife for a long time, and uh, it that song continually, where it, whenever it's performed, is just an absolute yeah. anthem. Audiences adore it because yeah. there's just so much heart in it. Um, yes, and you can feel you can feel it, and you felt it in the guys as well. Hmm. All of these from coast to coast to da 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 da, and so so it actually gave name to the record as well. Yeah. It's, um, I wanted to mention another Westlife song, which is not anywhere near as well known, but um, there's a couple of points in this interview that I'm going to just bring up some of my favourite songs that you've written. Mm. You wrote an incredible song for Westlife called I Cry. Oh. And that, to me, just, uh, it's one of my favourite songs of yours, but one of my favourite things they've ever done. Mm. Um, Thank because, you so much. Because it's, it's not the obvious Westlife boy band song. No, it's actually not. And you know why? From the beginning, I wrote that song when I was, uh, it's, it's from my artist's life. I wrote that song actually sitting in, from the beginning in the Polar Studios, the ABBA studio. Really? I was sitting there, yes. So, so it, it came about because, uh, you know, a, a, a breakdown that I had with the girl. Uh, it was uh, very tough. So I brought that in, you know, I'm a sensitive person. No, but anyway, so so I used all those breakdowns, uh, breakups, I should say, not breakdowns, breakups, yeah. but uh, with, uh, you know, all the kinds of girls. And that was one of them. And um, so that song uh, has uh, old bones, you know, you can say. And then I brought it up together with Per and David and I showed them the song again and, and it's it worked really well. I think somebody else didn't he record it as well? Shane Ward? Uh, yes, possibly he did. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think so. It's it would have come from the. I was, I was going to talk a bit about Simon actually because you had a very long relationship working with Simon Cowell and oh, and I've lovely. I've often said, um, and he doesn't really do it anymore, and I find it a shame. But I've often said that. Simon is one of the, the best A and R in in the world because he isn't a writer and he isn't a producer. He is just a member of the public, yes. and he hears things. He just knows if it gets him, yes. then it's going to get everybody. Yeah, uh, but that's I mean that's the old A and R as well. You know, like yeah. the 
how how music industry was originally built. Yeah, it was really built by these guys who felt the music, mm. and they I, if I know it, they they will love it, and then they went out and did it. And sometimes they knew music, sometimes they didn't. If they didn't, they usually had a partner that knew music. That's, so, I I mean I I must say I. I Simon is, I mean, I absolutely loved working with him because he was so honest and (laughs) brutal, but also so rewarding, you know, once you got it right. And and he knew how to get me. He played me like a violin, you know. He knew exactly what to do with me because he had, he probably had, you know, clocked me by the by, I walked into the studio for the first time. Oh, this is this is somebody like that. I can this mm. is what I he knew exactly how to get stuff out of me. <laughs> and and uh, of course uh, it was perfect. I mean, I wanted to be good, you know, I had a kind of an estranged father who was like never really there and and um, you know, alcoholic and whatever and whatnot. So he became like almost like that guy, you know. Hmm. So I oh look, look how good I was. You know, I wanted to show him all the time what <laughs> stuff I'd done. And so we had this kind of relationship, and it was fantastic for a few years there. It was really working. Yeah. And of course, it, it, he brought you very much into the um the the, the talent show formats in, in many ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, how is that when you I mean you said uh for instance when you were talking about one of the first things you did for the the, the big show winners you know with evergreen was did you say that was the that's the second song called evergreen that you'd written yes I actually written a song before uh, but it wasn't at all about that <laughs> yeah and actually even though Westlife recorded evergreen first yeah. it was written for the show okay uh, because uh, Simon called me up in his office one day and he said, we're going to do this TV show. It's going to be called uh, Bob Idol, I think you said already. Then. And it's going to be about this and this, and I want you to write the winning song. And then he said, the winning song has to be about what does this person feel when he's standing there? He's gone through everything. This is what he said. This is what is, what is he going to say, you know? And then he also said, it also needs to be a, a wedding song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it has to be both. Hmm. And he was so clever about that because hmm. it's 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 actually about it's a love song, but it's about that moment. Hmm. So you can read in the moment, but it's about something else. So hmm. so that was the whole key. That's what he wanted. And then the show took such a long long time for it to 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 come to fruition. So he said, "Ah, let's record it with Westlife. We don't know." But then he, he said we couldn't find anyone else, a better song, so he took it back. <laughs> and, so, so, and he had it as his winning song as well. But there is also one, because he's, I mean, in that moment, we, we stood there in, the, in, in his office, the first lines to the song already popped into my head. I knew exactly what it was going to be about. Mm. And I just called him up a couple of days later, and I, I sang it on the phone for him. And he, he was like, wow, I can't believe it, you know. And it's really fun because I don't know if you read it, but he has a book, you know, you know, yeah. I don't mean to be rude. And yes, I've read it, he yeah. talked about it there, actually, yeah. uh, when I called him up. It's actually in the book there. It's kind of fun. But um, it's um, it was one of those things that I almost, uh, as he thought it, I did it. You know, it's, that's how effective this whole thing was. I was like made for working with him. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was amazing in that sense. And uh yeah, it was a fantastic time. And as you say, it is he has that great ability of being able to, you know, yes, he is honest, but 
it is you know there's a reason for it and and he's not a technical production person but he would just kind of call up and say there's something at two minutes that it doesn't feel right and i don't know what it yes. is and, and it's you know it's, it's really liberating because it's actually you know i, I feel the anr man who who has too much knowledge so to speak and mm. things like that they they tend to um bring their uh you know insecurities into that you know yeah and then start about talking about things that doesn't really matter yeah to, to the song and it, oh it's this and it's that but but they can't say and then they got really nervous and then but, but simon was never like that yeah he was like uh change the snare <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, take the take up the snare that's basically his saying or you know, when once it worked, it worked. You know, and then he said, you know, I didn't like that song, and it didn't work. So, so he knew. Yeah. He, uh, but he was. He said one. There was one song that he did love, of mine. Um, oh bloody hell! What's it? Oh sorry. Uh, was it? Was it on um, Garrett Gates' first album. There was a song called. Uh, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, anyway. He said, I should have released it as a single Wow! because it would have been a hit. Because okay. I said, you, you have to release this. This is an amazing song, you know, mm -hmm. but um, and then he didn't, you know, and he he's, he said, you know, I'm sorry, I, I should have. I should have listened to you. It's amazing. That's good. So, That's good. So he was he was always like that. He, he was he had no problem admitting something. And he was yeah. very much like, you know, oh, honestly, Jürgen, that's not your best work. You know, <laughs> that's how I, how, you know, I love his critics and I, I could tell, you know, he's going to hate this. Uh, but uh, but then other times, you know, I had this meeting with him. Uh, I had uh, hadn't seen him for a while because, you know, it, it got to be, you know, hard to work with Simon after a while when he was a superstar himself. Yeah. And uh, so it got tougher and tougher to get the proper meetings. You had to fly, you know, over a day to, to L.A., back and forth, back and forth, you know, and all those kind of things just to, to be able to sit down. But uh, I went to his office uh, and I, I hadn't met him for a while. And he said, oh, what have you done lately? And then I showed him a song called Homeless. Oh, my God. Um, that, that's that was, on my... Uh, that's on my list, by the way. Oh. Of, that is my that is my favorite song you've ever. Oh, written. thank you. <laughs> That's uh, uh, you know, and I, I had already recorded it with a Swedish artist mm. named Darin, who mm. fantastic version. Mm. But and then I played it to Simon, and my meeting was supposed to be, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, half hour. What do you mm. get, you know? Uh, between everybody was standing in the foyer down there, so I was like, okay, I get my half hour. But the thing was, I played it to him. Okay, let's play it. He put it in and he started playing it. He was like all silent. And then in the end of the chorus, he said, without your love, I'm homeless. You know, I say that, you know, in the lyrics. And he goes, oh, my bloody God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, and, he's, and he turned it up. You know, and my meeting took, like, I stayed there for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And he was just constantly talking about this song to everybody that came in. And, wow, this song is so amazing. And listen to this. And this is Jürgen who wrote it. And, you know, he was like this. You know, I kind of blew his mind. <laughs> yeah. So, so, of course, and the, you know, if it had been another uh, A&R, they would have said, oh, you recorded it already. Fuck it then. But he was like, I don't care. We're going to have this with uh, Leona. Yeah. So, yeah, it uh, turned in, into great. I'm happy you like it. Oh, I, I love it. It's absolutely, I mean, obviously, um, again, I've worked with a bit, a bit of Leona, but I mean, Leona just has, you, you've been 
so lucky to have the most incredible singers um, sing your songs. Oh, yeah. But um, having Leona Lewis do it is, uh, her vocal on that, that is incredible. And I just think there's a, the one thing I love about that song as well is that you have such an incredible, I know you've spoken about this before as, as the weird thing of English being your second language, but you have such a incredible connection to lyrics and English language. Oh, and also that incredible, I've always thought, I suppose it could be a Swedish thing, but the kind of the melancholy, but mm. with hope. Yes. That kind of comes <laughs> from your country and a lot of people from your country that, you know, even going True. back to ABBA, there is that mm. melancholic feel yes. underneath it, but there's always a kind of glint of hope. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's a, and as Simon said, it's a, such a it's you don't expect that that word you do not expect that word to be the, the lyric no. to be the title. So no, um, you, you probably don't. And and uh, I don't know why it's like actually it was Darin who came in who wanted to have the meeting and he said I want you to write a ballad for me. Then uh, and and I kind of almost I did it for him. Hmm. So it wasn't for Simon even. Yes, you know. of course. But but of you know lucky. It should have been on the American version. They yeah. sh- actually, it is, but they should have released it as a single. They didn't. That one, I agree with. That one should definitely have been a single. That yeah. One, so, um, because I think he had a Clive Davis moment there. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, but so, I think he, he loves that, though, doesn't he? He has that kind of Clive Davis sort of top draw songs, you know, the ones that will just keep for the most special moments. Mm-hmm. So you never know. It might one, <clears throat> one day it yeah, yeah, have yeah. An, another moment. Um, the, the winner's single thing is really interesting. Obviously you wrote, you know, the definitive winner single of a winner single with a moment like this. And I just find it so interesting that going in to write those songs, cause they are, well, for anybody else, they would seem incredibly hard to write because you're trying to write something that says all of this stuff, mm. but for it not to be cheesy and for it not to feel like a sort of presentation. Yeah. So, um, what do you remember about a moment like this when you when you oh, were charged um, with it? A moment like this is, uh, I was sitting in a, a restaurant uh, on a on the, on the docks here in, in Stockholm when Simon called me up and he said, uh, "I have this uh, guy. He's in my studio. I mean, he's coming to my office and and he's uh, I don't, he's interesting. You you guys should read write, write together. His name is John Reed. I'll send him over." Yeah. So it was uh, John, and um, and then he came over, and he's super intense, uh, John for sure. But he's got such a great voice yeah. for that type of music. Yeah. And the first three songs we wrote became big hits. You know, like we wrote them right off the bat. You know, yeah. like it was a moment like this. It was unbreakable, the yeah, Westlife the song, Westlife. and it was. Yeah. Uh, this uh, Australian uh, song, the, the winning song for Australian Idol, yeah, called uh, "Angels Brought Me Here." Oh, the so, Guy Sebastian yeah, song. Yes. So those three songs, off mm. the bat, you know, amazing. But uh, it was actually, uh, I, th- I think, why it was possible to write it, and why I think John and me was a perfect combination. We didn't last perfect there very long, unfortunately, but but we were perfect in the beginning, mm. and and um, and I think. Uh, uh, we were, I had this knowledge of the whole Simon world in my head. And he was a whole bundle of feelings. Like he wanted to, so uh, I don't know if he had a title already. He had something called Moments Like This. 
He had moments like right. this with an S. Yeah. And I said, we can't have that. It's got to be about that moment. Hmm. And then we wrote that song. It was, it was really a quick piece of work, uh, as usually, you know, when, when it's really good. Uh, and but there is especially one line uh, uh, when, when, uh, when it goes in the course, oh, I can't believe it's happening to me. Mm. And I thought, I always thought, you know, that if the singer sings that, you know, having won this, you know, mm. wow, you know what? And we didn't know. I mean, they we sent it over and then there was this big chatter going on in the office and everybody went crazy for this song. Mm. And they, bam, and then he had still to fight for it, you know, in, mm. in America to get it across, right? Uh, because they, the, the whole work of politics and, and who's going to decide what and things like that. But uh, they had two winner songs, but of course, there's only one you remember, I think. Mm. Uh, the other one is like, I don't know. Was, but I know it was called Before Your Love. Yeah. <laughs> it was Desmond Child and somebody else who wrote that. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, Kathy Dennis, I think. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, but... Um, when she sings that, you know, I can't believe it's happening to my to me. Yeah. She starts bawling, you yeah. know, and it was exactly what I <laughs> That's thought what was going to happen. Yes, but it's like wow, <laughs> and the audience felt it, you know, because mm. that's the whole thing, and and you know, just a little saying something about today's idol songs and things like it's like they all forgot about that. Yeah, they don't realize that the winning song is the final moment of a TV show. Mm-hmm. It's not the first thing of your career, mm. you know, so so they always want to have the first thing of their career instead. And then they downplay the song and then the song, because the song has to be larger than life. It's got to have two, it's got to have all the booms and whistles mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. that, you know, you need to be able to top a moment like that, you know, when you just want, but, but they don't. So usually the, the winning songs of today is kind of a lame thing doesn't yeah. happen. And I think, wow, they waste so much because they build an artist up to a certain peak mm. and then there's nothing, you know, boom. Yeah. I, I feel like, wow. Uh, I don't know why, but it's just like sign of the times, I guess, you know. It is, but I, I wanted to sort of talk to you about that a bit as well. And, and the fact that it's very interesting in those shows that the majority of the time, the artists that the the artists that the public are falling love with, in love with are singing usually on those shows massive songs from the past. So they're singing yes. I Have Nothing, they're singing, you know, the, the, you know, they're singing Whitney Ballads, they're singing all these kind of incredible songs. Um, and that's what people love. And especially in the last two years, um, you've seen with all the streaming data and everything else that, you know, people have gone back and they've gone and invested in, songs that feel like songs mm-hmm. and i mean even more even right back up to it today with the adele record that was just released you yeah. know predominantly the biggest songs on it are just a piano and a voice yes. and everybody is falling in love with it and everybody thinks oh my god this is the emotion that we want to connect to yet if you were to deliver another one of the one of those songs a new version of one of those songs to a label now for a new act they wouldn't know what to do with it Exactly, and, and and there is a disconnect I feel with the 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 thing I heard Walter Afanasi have talked recently about the fact that he just stopped writing because he was being basically given the four chords that he was allowed to use, and it's like, well, I don't really want to do it, but then 
People will re react and respond incredibly still to this day, younger people especially, to an incredible Mariah Carey song from 20 years ago. So is it the fact that just being, for it to sound credible or current is fine, but there's actually so much that's being missed by doing that? Yes, I, I do think that um, they, they, the, I don't know what, what happened, but it's like, Everybody's using the music for other things now. I mean, usually take a car commercial, for instance, they use the best songs. So they they will have songs for different things. So you use them, you take the classics and, and because they know that the classics work, you know, and it's perfect to that moment. That's one thing. You have the TV shows, that's one thing. You have other things that they 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 thought, you know, other people, other companies and other products use the music. They use the great music, but the music doesn't use the great music. The music works much more nowadays on how cool. It's, it's the word cool that I feel really destroyed everything. Yeah. Um, because the word cool doesn't really mean anything. No. For me, you could say, oh, cool means being, you know, number one. Mm. But for for a lot of A&R people, cool means a certain snare drum or a kick, and it has mm. to sound like that. And you got to have in the hi-hats, or you you got to be this, and you got to be this. Like, all this crap is more important than a song structure and saying something in a song that, and actually leaving some emotion, like, like emotions after, you know, in the song as well. So I feel... Uh, there are some great, great songs out there, but they're not actually that many. They should be much, many more. And yeah. it's interesting that Adele is the one, again, showing the way. It's yeah. like they allow her to exist and then the rest, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> well, it, it, she just said something this week that I thought was great, which she said, if everyone's making records for TikTok, who's making records for me? Yeah. And that's what she feels that she, as a 30 year old woman, that's what she feels like she has a duty. Um, and not only that, she will sell the most records. Behind her will be someone like Ed Sheeran, who writes songs. Yeah. Um, and then all of the other huge people, whether it be from, you know, someone like Taylor, who has, you know, consistently written great songs, or Sam Smith, or it comes back to the songs that people will sing in 20 years, not the peak songs that people will forget in a month. No. And also you can see that, say, in the boy band department, you have uh, the Korean are taking BTS, over because yeah. nobody else is doing the young music anymore. Yeah. It's like, say, if you want to create a boy band, you cannot start with making music that sounds like the band split up and the young, cool, cool yeah. guy is doing it. It has to be sort of naff in the beginning. Yeah. It has to be catchy and it has to be colorful and it has to be all those kind of things so that the kids actually can go into it and buy you know buy into the whole thing yeah and it's just when once it has a you know once the band have had a, their you know their career's gone its course that's when they become cool and develop and grow you know and come of age you know yeah but it has to take time now the the band that they create now they're already cool you know, so so you can't have a boy band because a boy band is by definition not cool. So it's like it's really weird, right? So yeah, well, that, that it's, actually, it's just a little observation about that part of things. No, you but know? it's true, and that goes back to One Direction. You know, with you know what makes you beautiful was just the most incredible pop record, mm -hmm. and you know, and similarly with Little Mix with Wings. You know, their first, that single was incredible. You know, they 
it's really amazing to have, and and it's not to say that it's career-making songs. It's not yeah. just pop songs. They made their careers. They sail on those songs for a long, long time. Yeah. So it's yeah. again the other artists as well. Yeah. So the, these songs are important, you know, but yeah. uh, the less and less uh, of of them out there, uh, mainly because I feel people think they're not cool, so they downplay the whole writing thing. Which means that you you can't have melodies that soar. You can't have, you can't key change if you want to. You can't do anything because it's uncool. You know, it's like what? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one. Are you, you talking about absolute anthem songs? And and I think probably a, a restart of a career for for Kelly Clarkson with with Stronger, which came at just the right time mm. for her. Oh, um, yeah. Again, was that. Was that written for her? Was that a brief? Was that you need to just put this girl back on the map? It wasn't. It ah, wasn't. It wasn't right. written for her at all. <laughs> it was actually written for Leona <laughs> from the go. beginning. Wow. Yeah. I can actually hear her on it as well. Yeah. Now yeah, no, that. it's uh, we have a fantastic version that sounds much like hers, you know. Okay. Uh, it was same same move, same groove, same yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. but it didn't have that rocky element that they added to it, yeah. you know. So, um, so no, but they it's classic of, of you know the star turning down a smash, and you don't know why, and you go, what? Uh, how was that even possible? But I think it was because Simon had withdrawn from, um, you know, decision making a lot, and it yeah. was up to others. It was like, you know, people in LA, David Gray, and and other people. Mm-hmm. You're capable dudes, but of course they're not Simon. So my whole thing was connected to him, and I was like, "Oh, so I think maybe we missed the boat there with her because of that." You know, maybe they even didn't even get to Simon. Who knows? Mm. So anyway, we had it for a year and a half, and it was like, "What are we gonna do?" And then uh, that we sent it up uh, to her. Uh, it came from to my manager, and then another came from two directions and uh, and it became the last song she recorded because yeah. they kind of knew <laughs> that they had something there so yeah and it's and it you know and perfect for her voice and and again well, you know just... and i must say something it it something happened to that song which is like i don't know if i should run this thing but it's very common today but back then we had written a fantastic song but then the the, the producer wanted something for that and i was like no <laughs> you know but then the other guys you know the my i had found a girl down there who later became worldwide you know songwriter ali tamposi she was my signing and then um it's also uh, david gamson who's like uh, an old oh, Brit, from right? yeah, yeah, yeah my god oh, amazing yeah, writing Politi, yeah. yeah so anyway we had written this fantastic song but we had to sort of give up a little uh so he he became a writer uh I mean, it's tough negotiations. I said no, but the other guys said, yeah. But um, that really changed things for him. Mm. And now look what he's doing today. And I know that was a shift for him because he was more left field and he was really capable, you know, but he was like in the left field of being a producer. He came into the right bang of hits, you know, that type of thing. And that really changed things. Yeah. Didn't change that much for me, actually, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) But... uh, 
Uh, it was, a, no. it was a, another but number one. But for Ali, the, the girl I was working with, that yeah. a lot changed. Hey, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, I, and, you know, in hindsight, I don't mind, you know, you, you can be on it, I don't care. But but it was actually one of those, one of the first times where I felt that I, it happened to me. And, and I don't doubt nowadays, it's a lot of, how shall I say, it's, it's uh, very common. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard a lot about, about that stuff. Um, when it comes to, the, it's obviously huge hits, huge number ones, incredible success. When there's, there's a lot of things that you do, a passion project. So at what point did you start thinking about the impossible, well, the thing that had been tried and failed before, the impossible idea of getting Agnetha back into the studio? Uh, that's interesting. Oh, my God. Uh, well, we had, we had just finished work with... Uh, uh, another kind of Swedish legend is Björn Schiffs, hmm. uh, who, uh, who had this big hit, Hooked on a Feeling, you know, was his hmm. uh, American song. And and he actually had this, uh, he was on the charts at the same time as ABBA was uh, on TV with Waterloo. So he we went to number one in America. So they are the same generation. And we had worked with him, finished his albums, and this, me and the guy, um, felt uh, like, okay, uh, what are we going to do now? This was so much fun. And how should we top this? And then I just said, we should work with Anita Felsky. And it was like, because <laughs> it's the impossible thing, right? So it's Totally impossible. Yeah, so it's not going to happen. But then uh, we had been in, in the studio there in, in town. Uh, and the guy who had the place, they, they were friends with her. And we sort of run the idea by them. And they said, oh, yeah, we, we can talk to her. It could be interesting. Maybe you guys can meet up. And uh, it took about, I don't know, a few months <laughs> for us to, to actually have a meeting. And during that time, I, I pulled together three songs. And then we had that meeting. And we actually, me and him, were sitting outside in the car being really, really nervous um, of going in, actually, and having that talk. Um, and... Uh, but we did, and she loved the songs. And she said, you know, I have to do this. and Because she had also, then, you know, done her little homework of me and Peter and what she, what we, who we were and what we could, you know, what we could do and what we've done. And she said, oh, I like the songs. I like these artists and blah, blah, blah. So, so, and we had a great time with her. It was a great afternoon. And um, then we decided to record one song. And... Um, and then she was like really rusty. So she had to go in and do a lot of, you know, singing lessons and things like that she wanted to do before because she hadn't done. And Peter's wife is actually really great with those things. So so she took care of that. So it was all very secret. We did, you know, hush, hush. And uh, what's, the, what's the first song on the album? Anyway, it's, that's the song we uh, uh, recorded with her. And what and and do you remember that that first time that you actually heard that voice? Yes, just on your song. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it was really really crazy, you know, like because you don't really think about those things until it actually happens. And uh, I was just sitting there. I had my sort of a junior engineer with me, and he was like, uh, and she started singing, and I was like whoa, wait a minute, do you know what's actually happening here? And it was like, looking at it, it's like, what? I was like, and I felt it, I was like, really felt it, but it wasn't, when she, I started, uh, when she started doing dubs on herself, 
that's when it really happened. Yeah. Like, whoa. I was like, oh, I, I actually had a bit, a bit of a tear going. Yeah. And like, I really felt it. I got really emotional. And uh, that was a lot of those moments, you know, with uh, that whole thing. Was that on, so The One Who Loves You Now was the first yes, song on that? Yes, The album. One Who Loves You Now. Yeah. That was, I felt would be a perfect song. I don't know if you heard it, uh, but the way, why we... I felt we had to have a why making this record. Why do we, what do we want to do and why do we want to do it? Well, first of all, we want to hear Agneta again sing because mm. we haven't heard her for a long time. And she's this recluse lady living somewhere off, you know, but but hey man, she's mm. an artist. She needs to sing. So we actually made that happen. But also what we wanted to do was, because you can't really make an ABBA record, you know, it's, it's quite impossible. So, what we wanted to do was to make her, because she was a famous star in Sweden before ABBA, mm. we wanted to um, sort of, <laughs> as a fantasy play, you know, make her first um, international album mm. if she hadn't been part of ABBA, you know. Mm. So that's the, uh, that's the record that you will hear. It's, it's actually her first solo album as Agneta Felsko, the solo artist, not, mm. and and sort of, and that's why it sounds the way it sounds. It has a lot of 70s in it. It's got a lot of, you know, there's a little sparkle and sprinkle of whatever is going on now. Some funny sounds in, in songs, you know, just to sort of add a little bit. But mostly it's really sort of 70s with very lush strings and very, you know, songwritery kind of songs. It's a I'm, really, yeah, it's a really beautiful album. And I well, mean, I Was a Flower is, is fantastic. And actually oh, having... Thanks. Having Gary on Gary involved as well, I think you know, really helped. And and again, I think for him it was a he couldn't believe it was happening either. No, and it's you know it was it's actually uh, him that um, he um, he was the one coaxing her to come to Britain to to you know be on the show that he was doing you know the yeah. Children in Need show. And uh, he got her to come and be on stage. It's like, we couldn't believe it, you know? What's yeah. going on here, you know? And she actually did it, you know? And, and so she had probably had a lot of love for what we did and and uh, liked working with us. And, you know, I must say, again, she's one of the most professional people I've met, you know? Mm. Like, like this is Agneta from ABBA, you know, she's been there forever, you know, she's a legend there of legends, mm. but she still shows up at exactly 11 o'clock. She's on my doorbell, mm. you know, exactly like, and well rehearsed and, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do. And she loved being in the studio and mm. had a lot of laughs, you know, and she easy to work with. And she always did what I wanted her to do. And, you know, take one more. Yes. Do that. Did it. Push yourself. Da, da, da. She, she really liked that. So, I must say, you know, it's it's the generation of artists, you know, that type of generation that think it's they are there to for the rest of the world, not the world is there for them, that type of thing, you know. And so so it was beautiful to work with her. Fantastic time. When you're working with singers, any singers, um, specifically of that, I mean, what what is your what what is the most important thing to getting a a timeless vocal? Uh, well, first of all, what I've learned is that I record immediately. I don't wait, you know, because you want those virgin moments of, of when the singer sings for the first time. This is something special. It can't, 
after a while, it's it's a repetition of what's been, you know. So so I always record from from the moment I just call it. Ah, let's warm up a little here, and then poof, I press yeah. red, yeah. You know, because I know that there will be things here, and then um, I let them kind of sing uh, through. Uh, it's very easy to work with me. I'm not like taking five million tracks anymore. Uh, what I do is that because I know, in my world anyway, that. They will do the second track, and then the third one will be the the amazing one, and then the rest will be copies, you know. So, and then actually, maybe they will sing ten takes. I don't usually ha- need more. I find it interesting that you actually said exactly weirdly what I feel as well, which is you know always going to record, um, and weirdly take three is usually the one, and take four is the one where they fix what they did wrong in take three, but they don't realize they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really like it's, it's usually you know it's it's really funny with vocals because uh, because we can do anything today with with the auto tunes and with the melodines mm. and all those things you have anybody can sing today almost you know you just have oh, da 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 you know and very close to the mic and mm. and you fix it but it's kind of terrible because there's no real emotion what you can't fix is emotion. Yeah. So that's what you have to focus on. And actually, real emotion, you, you get around three and four or in the beginning, the whole thing, mm. before they feel like they're tired and they, they, they blew it. Or, or they, and then, of course, I, I say things like, <laughs> I try to have fun with the, the singers, you know, like make them laugh, you know, and so that the whole tension thing goes away because you want that whole thing, the whole pipe. You just don't want the throat, you know? Mm. So, so it's a, it's, it's a lot about making people feel comfortable and have fun. And, you know, we can take a break and what do you think? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit of editing and then we go back, you know, you know, we just, we fix it later, you know, just to, to be, you know, to get the tension off because the Mm. tension is the big enemy. I feel Mm. like this whole, the thing that cramp up, make people cramp up a little. Uh, And most people really respond, respond really well to that, you know, Uh, and and also I'm really, it's really important for me to tell them how great they are. I, I, I keep telling people that, wow, you're such a great, you know, because they are, you know, and if they are, don't hold back, you know, because mm. sometimes, you know, you, you can, I guess, you know, as a singer, you sit there with a guy who's more, more interested in actually his gear than the singer. So that you'd never get in response. It's like for you and me playing a song to somebody and they say, hmm, all right, you mm. know, fuck you, you know, <laughs> give me some passion or, or yeah, tell yeah. me shit, something, you know, like that, this whole thing of nothing, you know, uh, which is such a, uh killer in the in the music industry you know no response that type of thing so for me it's very important to to lift them up you know i had yeah. this guy yesterday over to he's such a great soul singer but i had him sing more like a classic guy you know and they just because i like his voice so I, I wanted him to be more of a classical singer and he thought it was so much fun <laughs> you know uh, of course it took a little while because he's always used to doing his little things but uh in the end, he thought it was a, a fantastic little thing, and and um, it turned out really well. So, I think you know, little key things, you know, really let people know how good they are, and and record from the moment, from yeah. the get go. I think, yeah, not too much. Don't don't you don't need too much, you know. No, you that's exactly. And actually, when you're lucky enough to have an amazing singer as well, just oh yeah, you know, let them just do the whole thing. Don't do twenty versions of 
take verse one and 20 versions of verse two and not just, just you know, because no. ultimately I always say that, you know, that vocal, whatever they do on that day is going to live with them for the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. So um, the more, as you say, the more relaxed they are. And, and, you know, you are just by definition of the way that you work, of the way that you write, you know, you emotion, it, it's all about emotion. You know, yeah. it has to get you, if it gets you, yeah. you know, yeah. it's going to get someone else. There's been, there's been moments. <laughs> I had this uh, with uh, Bjorn Fuifs, you know, the guy uh, that I spoke to you before, the mm. guy who preceded uh, the Agneta record, right? He was singing a song that I've written with an English writer, exactly what his name was now, but uh, such a great song. Uh, uh, you, you got there in the end. If you listen to that song, it's called You Got There in the End. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sung that all the way through. And, and in the end, he just gave so much. I started bawling, you know. Yeah. I can't. I, I couldn't help it. It just happened, you know. Mm. And it was like I had to go out and hug him, you know. Mm. It was like so. I hugged him. I cried, you know. It was like he was like, "Oh man, it's gonna be all right," <laughs> you know. But I, I just couldn't. I couldn't stop. I, I, I was so much life in him. I mean, his whole life was in those lines he sung. Mm. His he wanted it so much. He wanted to give his best you know hmm. it was such a beautiful thing and it's like ah oh, and i just I, it, it just came you know hmm. i think it's more you know like sometimes when people say they go to the opera and they cry hmm. it's because the singers hit notes with a passion and at the right you know in the context of the right harmonies and and something just happens you know and and you can't find that in normal, you know, in modern pop songs. It's just not happening because it's all constructed in a different way. Mm. But when singers are allowed to sing, it's like, how should I say? Uh, it's it's a, it's me, you know. I have a, just had a, you know, I got myself a little dog. I I hadn't had it before, mm. and I, I, he's a Japanese dog. It's called a, a Shiba. I don't know if you know the dog. Mm-hmm. It's a small little thing, but beautiful dog. He looks like a fox, but. But when I'm out with him, I always have to have him in a leash, a kind of a long leash, but I, I keep him there because he's, you know, he's going to run away otherwise, you know. But it's so wonderful to see him run around free to be a dog, you know, and just mm-hmm. run, you know, like be a dog and run, you know. It's like, it's, and that's how it feels like sometimes singers, you know, like just be a singer, you know, be that, you know, just sing. Don't think about if it's cool or not, just sing, get the words, give them wings, you know. That yeah. type of thing, and and you know, oh, thank God for Adele or, or a couple of others, you know, out there that still do it. But uh, otherwise, the world wouldn't hear it anymore, you know. No, and that that literally was last night. There was a big Adele show on the UK TV, and the last song she sang was just the one of the songs of the new album. And it it is exactly that. It's just you know the audience were completely reacting reacting because of the honesty of the mm. lyrics, and they weren't listening to the snare drum. And, no, uh, and that's what I think, it, I, I think is, you, you talk a lot about, um, that connection and spirituality. I I've heard you say before that sometimes you have a little, um, some kind of angelic guidance when it comes oh, yeah. to writing songs. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, totally. I, I like that a lot. I kind of believe in that. I mean, is that, is that always there or does it, does, does they, do they pop up occasionally? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, they kind of pop up. I have a my method of songwriting is how should I say? Um, I write a lot when I'm out walking. I get things. Things pop into my mind. Mm. 
Yeah. They, from nowhere. It's like I'm not looking, I'm not trying. It just yeah. pops in. And it's it's chunks of lyrics, usually. It's it's first lyrics, then music. It's never yeah. the other way around. It's it's very actually one time it's been the other way around. But it's usually otherwise lyrics first. Mm. Uh, and I I don't understand. So I keep those lyrics, and I write them down and I da da da. But then I'm 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 in a session, for instance, and I know there's a feel and a vibe. It really is important that the other writer isn't opposing anything hmm. more like he's open and he's like wow this we're having a fun thing you know oh that's cool if it's like that open the, the angels can come in as well i hmm. feel like i don't know what happened this last 15 minutes we actually wrote a song here and it's not shit you know this hmm. is really good where did it come from <laughs> you know like <laughs> How is this even possible? How can you do this? You know, I, have, I hardly met you. You know, we write, we're writing. There was amazing song in, for a very, you know, we just poof. It's like that. And for me, I don't know what that is. I, uh, it's. I think it's me. Uh, maybe being. Uh, I've probably written songs for more than forty years now. Yeah. So that it's 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 like riding a bike for that long. You actually know what you're gonna do. So so it's like my mind. I think has learned to get off, you know, and and just be the tool for whatever the spirit brings forward, you know, mm. and then it sort of deciphers that. Mm. But it doesn't think too much. It doesn't ask, oh, is this really good? Or is this, you know, it's more like, because it really knows, all, it knows already. And that's yeah. basically how I feel. It's like the songwriting has become so much easier when it's actually working today than it was like 20 years ago, even yeah. though it was easy then. It was yeah. easy. It's, I couldn't say really easy, but what I mean is songwriting is a funny thing because I actually don't know what I'm actually doing. I'm just receiving it. It comes from somewhere. Uh, the best things I receive, I don't think them up. You know, I don't I don't construct them with my mind. I'm going to have a T here and then I'm going to have a U over there. You know, it's just it just comes. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like um, I do, yeah. And uh, it's very hard to explain, but it's more. I think it's there's a lot of magic involved. If I say that, you know, it's like when it comes to these kind of things, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. It was um, just to finish up with this. We've missed out a lot of things because there's not time to go through everything. And, and oh, you can you can have you can cut me out. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to cut you out at all. I just you know there's there's a, there's a fa fascinating the, the whole royal wedding song was amazing. And there's hmm. on on Jurgen's website there's a whole bit about that which is, which is fantastic. I also um, was really happy to see you back um, with Celine recently no, for that thanks. record. Um, that was just it felt so lovely having you know written for her back you know back a few years ago um and it just was just the perfect song for her to come back with that must have been lovely to to be back with her oh yeah it was uh i mean as as, as you know <laughs> and for me it was like this was actually the first time i produced her myself our recording our vocals and things like that so that was very rewarding. You know, oh, okay. Well, other. that's good. Yeah, because normally, yeah, yeah other people. No, well, do Per it. and David produced the uh, last yeah, yeah. things, and and maybe yeah. other people over in America yeah. because they always have weird schedules. Yeah. But in this case, because it had, it was such a weird thing, and, and she was uh, in Las Vegas. We went there to record it up in the, at that hotel, the Palm. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool studios up there. So. Mm. So it was great having a week with Celine was not too bad actually it was fun she wow. was she was so much fun you know yeah 
she takes the piss, you know, absolutely. <laughs> she, she makes you cringe sometimes because she has such a dark humor and yeah. she likes, likes to spread it out there and she's really funny. And so, yeah, we had a, we have a good time, but actually, you know, there was also a, a bit of a downer for her because she had a, a bit of an ear infection that later mm. she had to operate. So, yes. So uh, she had to work extra hard, and that was uh, once in one song. She sort of <laughs> she made me she, nothing was good, and I was like, "Everybody, get out!" You know, I have to talk to her. So I was like, "What's wrong here, Celine? <laughs> you know, what's, you have to let me know what's going on, man." And then she told me, "You know, I love to sing, but I hate to sing. You know, because I have to sing now and blah blah." So and and just by having that conversation, we we ended up with a great vocal. So. Uh, it's it, it's interesting and again we're all human you know mm. even though so, some of us are in, in las vegas you know having shows they're all yeah. you know we're human it's like easy to that we forget that that connection is so important yeah but actually if i feel like there's and i did this i i took a chance you know i felt wow i have to go and see what's wrong with her you know i have to i have to actually talk to her mm. it would have been the easy thing would have been not to do anything Mm. You know, but I felt uh, there's something not right today with her, so I have to shake it out. And then we got that out of the way, and then perfect. Maybe that's why I had all my songs there. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> you but, never know in the end. But also, you're yeah. I mean, well, I, you know, she's an incredible, you know, chooser of songs as well. But um, I think just at that point, it stops being you know the hit songwriter and the massive megastar, and you're just two humans in a room, yes. just trying to figure out how to get to you know figure out what's wrong and exactly it's... and uh, and i thought wow um and the, i think it's really what it's about if you you know it's like we have to be kind of honest with each other when we work it's like yes. there, there's a moment there and you can't really hide anything it's like you know, you have to kind of come out with it and say it and it's like not not like we tell each other all the secrets but in that moment that when we're working together if we allow ourselves to be open yeah, and and allow ourselves to, uh, as I said, you know, dare to suck and all whatnot. We we will find a moment of true songwriting, you know, like, and what is that? Yeah, well, that's two souls meeting up or more, because that can happen when we're three or four as well, you know. Yeah. Usually, then after that, it can, can become too many. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they get crammed thirty people in the room of that Travis Scott song. I don't know, but anyway, oh, it's like I don't think they're all in the same room. <laughs> no, of course not. It's like it's, a, the whole whole new setup of songwriting. There's but anyway, definitely definitely one guy that literally just does the snare. The, yeah, the, the, the label probably. approved snare is, is yes, one, he's one the guy. The approved snare of this month. <laughs> 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 no, but it's it's funny. We can laugh at it, but it's really you know it's like wow, this is what you have to kind of go through and and it's uh there's a lot of crazy things in this industry for sure and um, there's a lot of things that uh, we have to go through to to get that one song but you you know you remain to have you remain someone that has timeless anthemic songs that are the soundtrack of people's lives that they have you know, they've got married to, they've had kids to, they've lived to, mm. they've laughed to, they've danced to, they've cried to, you know, it, it, even if it takes all of this to get even 10, 20 of those, yeah. it's got to be worth it, right? Of course. I mean, you know, I, I, I've, 
you know, be, being a writer and being able to support myself as a writer is the, the biggest gift. And uh, and I want to give that, you know, give back to that, you know. So I always want to do my very best. And, and there's, um, you know, and those... The funny thing, though, with me is that once the song is written, once it leaves me, I have no real attachment to it in that sense. You know what I mean? It's really strange. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've never had a problem after, you know, just give away the best you have. Give give somebody the best you have and, and that type of thing. I, I, I don't really want to sit there and, oh, I love this one myself. <laughs> you know, like, oh, give it away, you know, give the best things away. That's when it's going to happen, you know. Yeah. So uh, and and after say writ having written a song, I I always feel like, even though it, it might be a hit a, a year and a half later, um, or or like a real hit, you know, like the stronger song for instance, oh. uh, I'm I'm happy and I'm proud. But but we had the moment in the studio a year and a half. Yeah. Ago, so so it's like for. for the rest is up to somebody else, uh, mm. and then the songs have their own life. And so yeah. I, I'm not even though. Uh, there are songs of lots of emotion in them and things like that. I am not emotionally attached to them mm -hmm. in a weird way. I hope that doesn't make me. No, I, I understand what you mean. I but think well, you, you were you you were when you wrote I, well, them. I was at the and moment you were when we you created. recorded them. But yes. yeah, it's it's. Um, I have this phrase which I use for um, when I work on as, uh, for touring shows or for mm. you know when I put stuff together, and you know we create the whole show. We put it all together. And then when it goes on tour, we, we, we kind of disappear. And, and the phrase I use is, you know, I built the house. I don't want to live in it. And well, there like, you go. <laughs> we have, we, I've had my fun now. Yes. Everybody, it's now yours to enjoy because we, yes. I remember the bit that, that, as you say, you remember the moment that you were recording that vocal of a song you had written with a guy that sang it so well that it mm -hmm. made you cry. That's yes. your best ever moment you're going to have with yes. that song. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And and you know there, there will be I mean if it's if the songs are big hits and and things like that they will support us you know they will take us through the you know the next few years hmm. of living but uh, it's like um, and that's of course hugely important but I think as I had to simply have to let them go because I cannot attach myself to say if I it's, it's like people ask me you know. Uh, so what do you think about that version? Uh, or, you, you know, things like that. But actually, I don't care. You know, I don't... It's they that wanted to make that version. It doesn't bother me. You know, mm. I've, I've made my version of the song. Mm. And, and I'm just happy if it becomes better, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's not me to, you know... If somebody makes them, then that, and it's great and they're happy and it works. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't dwell on them. I actually, it's really... I don't know what that is, you know, but it's like... I. Once it's written, it's run, written. And as you said, you know, you built the house and somebody <laughs> else can live in it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so you continue to be incredibly busy. Um, you continue to write. You continue to work with different people. I know that obviously most recently you had that wonderful song in the, um, the Eurovision film that Demi Lovato sang. Oh, yeah. And you've had some great tracks out with, with Reese and Nicky Heaton. And, you know, you're, you're still there. You're still happy to write, enjoying writing. Oh yeah, I do. I mean, a lot. I've, so, some have changed, of course. Like I'm changing, you know. Like I, as a person, as a human, <laughs> I'm changing. Um, and uh, I don't. 
I, I'm not so happy to like really chase everything anymore. You know, I, I'm more like in the Zen moment, like what's comes to what comes to me, hmm. what happens. Uh, you know, because I I don't really don't want to go out and sit in maybe too much with the the two two young guys and girls yeah. out there because. I feel there's a disconnect in our age ages now mm-hmm. and, and we don't really get each other. Mm. Uh, and I don't understand what's make, you know, what makes them tick, you know? Mm. So I'm like, uh, for me, uh, I was actually quite old already when Britney <laughs> happened, you know? Mm. So I'm like, uh, today I'm a not very young guy. So, so I feel like, okay, I'm, a, I'd rather be, when people come here or when I can go to a certain moment and, and write with people that I really love writing with, that's what I want to do. And uh, yeah, so that's how it works for me now. And if you got, you know, if you had another moment and you probably have actually where there is another kind of like a homeless or one of those kind of songs where it's oh, yeah. a proper real song. Oh yeah. I have who, a few here. <laughs> How do you, are you waiting for the artist? Do you go out and find the artist? What's the, what's well, the thing for that? It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, this is a weird thing with songs, you know, like some songs happen immediately and they kind of come out and you write with an artist and they're going to release it, you know, within two months. And some songs just can sit there for years. Mm. You know, it's like, I do have songs that I actually absolutely love, but I can also hear, Okay, that would be working. Maybe it's another time. Maybe maybe we have to wait two years for that one. You know, like yeah, for, to 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 find the artist that shows up one day, or maybe oh, I'm going to work with this guy. I'm going to test it. Yeah, you know. So so my songs are always alive with me. You know, like until they're gone. But once they're gone, they're you know. Then it's like, but I keep my catalog. I revive it. I go back to songs. I rewrite things, and yeah. I, uh, it's, it's they're never really done until they're done. That type of thing, you know. Yeah. So, which is also actually a very good thing to do. I feel like you, you, if there is mistakes in them, you can go back and correct them, and you can get that chance. Sometimes you don't get that chance. The song pops out, and there's a mistake in them, and they didn't do that well because of the construction was wrong yeah and it must be lovely having worked with Agnetha that um to see Abba back and you know in in, with such a way that they literally within two days of releasing those first two songs they just made so many kind of mini TikTok trending artists Mm -hmm. just seem kind of irrelevant by just being the biggest and the best again and at, at the ages that they are um they are, I mean, they, are, they are that word cool they are they must actually be. cool they yeah, must they are. be right yeah they're cool yeah, there must be just <laughs> i mean if cool if cool is being number one in so many countries it yeah. must be cool you know it's like yeah. come on you know <laughs> it's uh it's an unheard of unprecedented thing that somebody i've never heard this you know like like say a big act suddenly comes out with a new album after 40 years plus. Um, And it's actually, you know, turning everything on fire. That's rarely happening. Yeah. If if it's ever has ever happened before, I think that's unprecedented. And and the fact that there was a moment when they were obviously recording for the, for the show, there was a moment where those four people 
were in a studio together. You know, oh, yeah. It, that's incredible. And, I, and I'm finding out things now that two or three people that, that, that I know are, were in the studio with them and they're going to be in the live band. And, you know, this whole thing has been been worked on for so long and the rollout of it, it was just so wonderful to see. Mm. Um, but that, it's, it's kind of typical them to do it really properly, you know, like, mm. like not getting hasty, you know. Yeah. I, I think they kind of leaked it, you know, before maybe because we knew about these songs, the new yeah. songs for like three years now. <laughs> I don't know if that was intended or if that was like an er too early. But uh, anyway, it's like, it's, I mean, it's a musical moment, isn't it? It's like uh, something of unprecedented. I haven't yeah. seen anything like it. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's a, there's that, you know, eternal monument that's going to be there for them for next year, you know, from next year onwards of this show that celebrates them at their finest, how they want to be seen, how they want to be heard. You know, it's it's rare. It's also rare, very rare, like uh, sort of living artists to do these things, right? Yeah. Usually you have to kind of die before somebody yeah. puts, a, puts a hologram show together. Yeah. Now they can control it and yeah. own it. So actually what happened here is that ABBA will live forever now. Yeah, they can tour forever now, and yeah. uh, and once these the Abba sort of goes to the the, the other place of the, the heavens, you know, the, the family can do the put them on tour, and they can do all these things. Yeah. They can keep going forever and ever. I mean, this is just the UK thing. Then they put it up there, and they put it up there, and they're gonna yeah. put it up there. So I, there's no stopping. And I just don't. It's like so unique that that this brand, this Abba thing. It's been carried by the fans, sort of. Mm. Fans and other people have been recording their songs and suddenly, suddenly Jody Kramer is going to do this show. Yeah. I mean, kids, they go see Mamma Mia. They don't know. Maybe some some don't recognize, realize that there's a band called ABBA, but, but it was like, oh, Mamma Mia, that's what I want to see, you know? So, yeah. So Mamma Mia, oh, they, they did ABBA songs. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you, don't, you don't know. It's like you just have this, it's a new life. It just takes on a new, totally new life. It becomes a new thing with different generations. Well, look, amazing to catch up with you. And uh, thank you for sharing all those incredible uh, stories. Um, I know they'll be massively inspirational to the people that listen to this. Well, so thank um, you. lovely to speak to you and uh, take care of yourself. And I hope to see you soon. Well, absolutely. You will. <laughs> okay. See you soon. Okay, bye-bye.